chapters twenty seven and twenty eight of gretchen by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty seven he cometh not she said the she was jerry who the night before commencement was shaking hands with dick st clair fred raymond tom tracy and billy peterkin all of whom had arrived on the evening train and after dinner had come to pay their respects to the young ladies from shannondale the he was harold for whom jerry asked at once where is harold is he coming in the morning she said as she stood tall and straight and queen-like before the four young men who glanced at each other with a significance in their looks which she did not understand it was dick st clair who took it upon himself to explain no hal is not coming he said and he is awfully cut up about it he thought he might manage it until yesterday when he found it impossible to do so you see he has taken a job which must be done at a certain time taken a job what job what do you mean and her blue eyes flashed upon each of the young men falling last upon tom tracy as if she expected him to answer which he did in the half sneering half satirical tone which made her long to box his ears why it's a sort of carpenter's job he said and i heard his hammer going this morning before sunrise for i was up early for once and out in the park sounded as if he were shingling a roof and that's work you know which must be done in fair weather it might rain and spoil the plastering thank you jerry answered curtly harold is shingling a roof and cannot come but where is maud is she shingling a roof too yes by by jove you've hit it maud's shingling a roof too the be best joke out billy peterkin chimed in glad of an opportunity to join in the conversation and so get some attention from jerry he was a little man only five feet two with heels and he wore the light clothes of which maud had written and a stove-pipe hat and dove-coloured gloves and carried a little cane which he constantly nibbled at when he was not beating his little boot with it but he was good-natured and inoffensive and kind-hearted with nothing low or mean in his nature and jerry liked him far better than she did the elegant tom as she had nicknamed him who stood six feet without heels and who knew exactly what shade of colour to choose from his necktie to his hose which were always silk of the finest quality tom was faultlessly gotten up and carried himself as if he knew it and knew too that he was tom tracy the future heir of tracy park if he were fortunate enough to outlive both his uncle and his father jerry had disliked him when he was a boy and was not very fond of him now although they were seemingly good friends except when he roused her to anger with what she called his airs turning her back upon him she pretended to be interested in little billy as she was in the habit of calling him he was so short and she was so tall he was speaking of harold and he said it's a deuce shame he couldn't come but but he sent some money but dick to buy you a ba basket in new york and by george we've got a stunner down to the hotel only i'm afraid it'll be wilted some before to-morrow yes dick said coming forward i should not have told you now if billy had not let it out hal did give me some money to buy a basket of flowers for you the very best i could find he said and i got a big one but i'm afraid it was not very fresh for it begins to look wilted now you must blame tom though he pretends to be up in flowers and advised my getting this one in new york because it was so handsome and cheap oh it is all right tom drawled in that affected voice he had adopted since his return from europe 
it was the best anyway we could get for the money hal you know isn't very flush in the pocket it was a mean speech to make and all tom's audience felt it to be so while jerry crimsoned with resentment and answered hotly faded or not i shall care more for harold's flowers than for all the rest which may be given me this was not very encouraging to three at least of the young men who were intending to make the finest floral offering they could find to the girl whom in their secret hearts they admired more than any girl they had ever seen and who had she made the slightest sign might have been installed at grassy spring or tracy park or le bateau within less than a month but jerry had never made a sign and had laughed and chatted and flirted with them all not excepting tom who had long ago dropped his supercilious air of superiority and patronage when talking with her and who treated her with a gentleness and consideration almost lover-like horribly jealous of harold whom he still felt infinitely above although he did not now often openly show it he had encouraged the visits of the latter to tracy park and by jokes and hints and innuendos had fed the flame which he knew was burning in his sister's heart there will be a jolly row when mother finds it out he said to maud one day for you know she holds her head a great deal higher than hal hastings who isn't the chap i'd choose for a brother-in-law but if you like him all right stick to him and i'll stand by you to the death this was to maud while to his mother when she complained that harold came there quite too often and that maud was running after him too much he said nonsense mother let maud alone she knows what she is about and would not wipe her shoes on hal hastings much less marry him she is lonely without nina and jerry and not strong enough to read much herself and hal amuses her that's all i know i have talked with her i am keeping watch and the moment i see any indications of love-making on either side i will give you warning and together we will put my fine chap in his proper place in a jiffy tom was a young man now of twenty-seven tall and finely formed with all his mother's good looks and his uncle arthur's courtliness of manner when he felt that his companions were worthy of his notice but proud and arrogant and self-asserting with his inferiors or those whom he thought such he had never overcome his unwarrantable dislike of harold whom he considered far beneath him but harold was too popular to be openly treated with contempt and so there was a show of friendship and civility between them without any real liking on either side tom could not tell just when he began to look upon jerry as the loveliest girl he had ever seen and to contemplate the feasibility of making her mrs tom tracy his admiration for her had been of slow growth for she was worse than a nobody a child of the tramp house of whose antecedents nothing was known while he was a tracy of tracy park whom a duchess might be proud to wed but he had succumbed at last to jerry's beauty and sprightliness and originality and now his love for her had become the absorbing passion of his life and he would have made her his wife at any moment in the face of his mother's opposition by some subtle intuition he felt that harold was his rival and whatever he could do to lower him in jerry's estimation he would do without the least hesitation it was tom who had insisted that harold's basket should be bought in new york where there was a better choice he said and he had himself selected flowers which he knew were not fresh and would be still worse twenty-four hours later why don't you get yours here if it is the best place billy peterkin had asked him and he replied oh we can't be bothered with more than one basket in the train i can find something there he did not say what he intended to find or that baskets were quite too common for him but after leaving the young ladies in the evening he went to a florist and ordered for jerry a book of white daisies with a rack of purple pansies for it to rest upon 
that will certainly be unique and show her that i have taste he thought for nina a bouquet was sufficient while for ann eliza peterkin he ordered nothing tom could be lavish of his money where his own interest was concerned but where he had no interest he was stingy and even mean and so poor little red-haired ann eliza who would have prized a leaf from him more than all the florist's garden from another was to get nothing from him what business has old peterkin's daughter to graduate anyway he thought and he looked on with a sneer while billy ordered five baskets one of which was to be of white roses with a heart of blue forget-me-nots in the centre what under heaven are you going to do with five baskets he asked but billy was non-committal for he would not own that three were intended for jerry whom he wished to carry off the palm so far as flowers were concerned and she did for of all the young ladies who the next day passed in review before the multitude no one attracted so much attention or received so much praise as jerry or half as many flowers her room was full of them baskets and bouquets and tom tracy's book showing conspicuously from the rest and attracting universal admiration but alas for poor harold's gift dick had watered it the last thing before going to bed and the first thing in the morning but the flowers were limp and faded and gave forth a sickly odour while the leaves of the roses were dropping off and only the size which was immense remained to tell what it once had been but jerry singled it out from all the rest and that night at a reception given to the graduates she wore in her bosom two faded pink roses the only ones she could make hold together and which nina told her smelled a little old but jerry did not care they were harold's roses which she had sent to her and she prized them more than all the rest she had received at little billy's heart she laughed till she cried and then gave it to a young girl who admired it exceedingly tom's book she knew was exquisite and thanked him for it and told him it was lovely and then gave it to ann eliza whose offerings had been so few a bouquet from dick st clair and fred raymond and a basket from her brother were all and the little red-haired girl who with her heavy gold chain and locket and diamond earrings and three bracelets and five finger-rings had looked like a jeweller's shop felt aggrieved and neglected and jerry found her sobbing in her room as if her heart were broken only three snipping things she said and you had twenty-five and mother will be so disappointed and father too when he knows just how few i got i wish i was popular like you never mind said jerry cheerfully it was only a happen so my getting so many you are just as nice as i am and i'll give you part of mine to take home to your mother i can never carry them all i should have to charter a car and in a few moments six of jerry's baskets were transferred to ann eliza's room including tom tracy's book oh i can't take that ann eliza said he didn't mean it for me he didn't give me anything and i-i here she began to sob again and laying her hand pityingly upon the bowed head jerry said yes i know i understand something from tom tracy would have pleased you more than from any one else but listen to me annie tom is not worth your tears don't you care for him the girl asked lifting her head suddenly not a particle as you mean you have nothing to fear from me jerry replied this was a grain of comfort to the girl who had been weak enough to waste her affections upon tom tracy and to hope that she might eventually succeed in bringing him to her feet for she knew his fondness for money and that she should in all probability be one day the heiress of a million 
so great was her infatuation for the man who had never shown her the slightest attention that even his flowers though second-hand and not intended for her were everything to her and when she packed her trunk that night she put them carefully away in many wrappings of paper to be brought out at home in the privacy of her own room and kept as long as the least beauty or perfume remained it was a very merry party which the new york train carried to shannondale the next day and jerry was the merriest and gayest of them all bandying jokes and jests and coquetting pretty equally with the young men until neither tom nor dick nor billy quite knew what he was doing or saying but always in her gayest moods when her eyes were brightest and her wit the keenest there was in jerry's heart a thought of harold who had so disappointed her and a wonder as to the nature of the job which had been of sufficient importance to keep him from vassar shingling a roof and maud is helping him billy said i wonder what he meant she was thinking when she heard ann eliza cry out that the towers of le bateau were visible as she had not seen that wonderful structure since its completion she arose from her seat and going to the window looked out upon the massive pile in the distance looking with its turrets and towers and round projections like some old castle rather than a home where people could live and be happy it is very grand she said to ann eliza and billy who was leaning toward her replied yes too grand for a p peterkin it wants you there jerry as its m master piece and by jove you can be be there too if you will no one heard this attempt at an offer but jerry who with a saucy toss of her head replied laughingly thank you billy i'll think of it and let you know when i make up my mind to come just now i prefer the cottage in the lane to any spot on earth oh here we are at the station she cried as the train shot round a curve and shannondale was reached there was a scrambling for bundles and flowers and wraps fred raymond gathering up nina's while dick and tom and billy almost fought over jerry's and poor little ann eliza would have carried hers alone if jerry had not helped her chapter twenty eight in shannondale ten years of change in shannondale and the green hillside which stretched from the common down to the river and where our story opened sheep and cows were feeding in the pasture land is thickly covered with dwellings of every kind of architecture from the mansard roof to the queen anne style just coming into fashion while the meadowlands are dotted over with the small houses of the men who work in the large furnace or manufactory which peterkin had bought and enlarged as a monument he said and where he sometimes employed as many as four hundred men and had set up a whistle which could be heard for miles and miles it was so loud and shrill a screecher peterkin called it and he always listened with a smile of pride and satisfaction on his face when he heard the first indications of its blowing and knew that four hundred men were quickening their steps on account of it lest they should be a few minutes late and have their wages docked peterkin counted two millions now and boasted the finest or at least the most expensive house in the county not even excepting tracy park which still held its own for solidity and old-fashioned dignity and was the show-place to the strangers visiting in shannondale when peterkin made twenty thousand dollars in one day from some speculation in stocks he said to mr st clair who was now a judge and with whom he pretended to be on terms of great familiarity i say judge i'm going to build a buster and whip the crowd i have lived about long enough in that little nine by ten hole and i'll be dumbed if i don't show em what i can do i'll have towers and bay windows and piazzas with checkered work all round em and a preservatory and all kinds of new-fangled doin's 
may jane and ann liza want that queen anne style but i tell em no such squatty things for me they can have all the little winder panes and stained glass cart loads on't if they want but i'll have the rooms big and high so a feller won't bump his head yes sir i'm in for a smasher and he built a smasher on the site of the old house behind which the lisianne or what there was left of it was lying and when the house was done and furnished with the most gaudy and expensive furniture he could find in boston and new york he said it had just as good a right to a name as anybody there was tracy park and grassy spring and briar hill and collingwood and he'd be dumbed if he'd be outdone by any of em he'd like to call it lizzie ann he said to arthur whom he met one day in the park and to whom he began to talk of his new house he'd like to call it lizzie ann arter the old boat for that craft was the beginnin of his bein anybody but may jane and ann liza wouldn't hear to it they wanted some new fangled foreign name could mr tracy suggest something how would le bateau do it is the french for the boat and might cover your difficulty arthur suggested that's just the checker lizzie ann with a new name lub lub what do you call her peterkin said and arthur replied le bateau yes yes lubber toe that'll suit may jane tiptop beats all what high notions she's got why i don't s'pose she any more remembers that she used to wash miss atherton's stun steps than you remember something that never happened do you arthur thought very likely that she did not and peterkin went on you say it means a boat in french canal do you s'pose arthur did not think it mattered what boat and peterkin continued lubber toe sounds droll but i like it i'll see an engraver to-day but how do you spell the plaguey thing arthur wrote it on a slip of paper which he handed to peterkin who began slowly l e l e b a t b a t le bat why what in thunder that ain't lubberto tain't nothin with an amused smile arthur explained that the pronunciation of french words had very little to do with the way they were spelled then very carefully pronouncing the name several times and making peterkin repeat it after him he said good-bye and walked away thinking to himself there are bigger lunatics outside the asylum than i am but it is not possible the fool will adopt that name but the fool did may jane approved and billy did not care provided his father would pronounce it right and so in less than a week le bateau was on peterkin's door-plate and on the two gate-posts of the entrance to his grounds and may jane's visiting-cards bore the words mrs peterkin le bateau fridays she had her days now like mrs atherton and mrs st clair and mrs tracy and had her butler too and her maid and her carriage and after the house was finished and furnished in a style that reminded one of a theatre it was so gorgeous and gay peterkin concluded to have a coat of arms for his carriage and remembering how arthur had helped him in a former dilemma he sought him again and told him his trouble that lubber too he called it too now went down like hot cakes and was just the thing he said and now i want some picture for my carriage door to kinder mark me and show who i am you know what i mean arthur thought a puff-ball would represent peterkin better than anything else but he replied yes i know you want a coat of arms which shall suggest your early days when i was flounderin to get up just so peterkin interrupted him you've hit it square 
now i'd like a picture of the lizzie-ann as she was but may jane won't hear tut it what d'ye say square arthur tingled to his finger-tips at this familiarity from a man whom he detested and whom he would like to turn from his door but the man was in his house and in his private room tilting back in a delicate swiss chair which arthur expected every moment to see broken to pieces and which finally did go down with a crash as the burly figure settled itself a little more firmly upon the frail thing i'll be dumbed if i hain't broken at all to shivers the terrified peterkin exclaimed as he struggled to his feet and looked with dismay upon the debris what's the damage he continued taking out his pocket-book and ostentatiously showing a fifty-dollar bill money cannot replace the chair which once adorned the salon of madame de stal arthur said put up your purse for heaven's sake never again tip back in your chair it is a vulgar trick of which no gentleman would be guilty ordinarily peterkin would have resented language like this but he was just now too anxious to curry favour with arthur to show any anger and he answered meekly that's so square tain't good manners and i know it as well as the next one i'm awful sorry about the chair and think mebby i could get it mended i'd like to try never mind the chair arthur said with an impatient gesture try another and a stronger one and let's go back to business you want a painted panel for your carriage how will this do and he rapidly sketched a green pleasant meadow with a canal running through it and on the canal a boat drawn by one horse which a barefoot elfish-looking boy was driving i swore square you're a trump you be peterkin exclaimed slapping him on the back you've hit it to a dot that's the lizzie ann and that there boy is bj jones drivin the old spavin hoss you are to have me somewhere in sight cussin the hands as i generally was and may jane on deck hangin her clothes to dry could you manage that arthur thought he could but suggested that mrs peterkin might not like to be made so conspicuous possibly she will not like this drawing at all she may think it too suggestive of other days that's so peterkin assented a little sadly and if she don't take to it the old harry can't make her she used to be the meekest of wives them days she dried her clothes on the lizzie-ann but she don't knock under what a sense since we riz in the world and ann lizzie is worse than her mother but i'll show this to the old woman and let you know may jane did not approve neither did billy no use they said to flaunt the canal horse driver and all in people's faces and so the discomfited peterkin went to arthur again and told him the fat was all in the fire and may jane on a rampage try again square but give us some kind of water and craft so arthur good-humouredly changed the canal into a gracefully flowing river in a bend of which in the distance there was just visible a boat which was a cross between a gondola and one of those little dangerous things so common on the lakes of wisconsin standing in the bow of the boat with folded arms as if calmly contemplating the scenery was the figure of a man supposed to be peterkin who swore he'd keep this picture in spite of him and as his wife did not seriously object the sketch was transferred in oil to a panel and inserted in the carriage which when drawn by two shining bays and driven by a coloured man in long coat and tall hat with peterkin sitting back in it with all the pride and pompousness of a two millionaire and may jane at his side covered with diamonds attracted general attention and comment billy seldom patronized the carriage but frequently rode beside it talking to his mother of whom he was very fond and taking off his hat to every person he met whether old or young rich or poor 
billy is an idiot but very kind-hearted people said of him and in truth he was popular with everybody especially the men in his father's employ who all went to him for favours or for an increase of wages for if billy had any business it was in his father's office where he pretended to look after matters and keep the book straight such had been the growth of peterkin during the past ten years he had got clean to the front he said and was hobnobbin with square harrington and judge st clair and the tracys all of whom shrugged their shoulders and laughed at him in secret but treated him civilly to his face for deny it as we may money has a mighty power and will open many a door which nothing else could move coarse and ignorant as a horse but not so bad after all was what people said of him now and in fact peterkin had improved and softened a good deal with the accession of wealth nobody gave so lavishly to everything as he did while to his employees he was always generous and considerate once he thought to join the church thinking that would add to his respectability but when talked with by his clergyman he showed himself so lamentably deficient in every necessary qualification that he was advised to wait a while which he did but he rented the most expensive pew and carried the largest prayer-book of any one and read the loudest and kept his head down the longest so long indeed that he once went to sleep and had quite a little nap before his wife nudged him and told him to get up good lord deliver us was his ejaculation as he sprang to his feet and adjusting his glasses looked fiercely round at the amused congregation so far as money and display were concerned the st clairs and mrs atherton had not kept up with peterkin on the contrary as he grew into society they gradually withdrew until at last dolly tracy had it all her own way and looked upon herself as the lady par excellence of the town she had been to europe she had seen the queen she had had some dresses made at worse she had picked up a few french words which she used on all occasions with but little regard to their appropriateness she had decorated a tea-set and was as unlike the dolly tracy whom we first knew as a person well could be everything had gone well with her and scarcely a sorrow had touched her for though poor stupid jack had slept for five years in the tracy lot with only the woman of the tramp-house for company he was so near an imbecile when he died that his death was a blessing rather than otherwise tom with his fine figure his fastidious tastes and aristocratic notions was the apple of her eye and tout à fait au fait she said when her french fever was at its height and she wished to impress her hearers with her knowledge of the language while except for her ill health and the bad taste she manifested in her liking for harold's society maud was tout à fait au fait too she had no dread of gretchen now even arthur had ceased to talk of her and was as a rule very quiet and contented only her husband troubled her for with the passing years his silence and abstraction had increased until now it was nothing remarkable for him to go days without speaking to any one unless he were first spoken to his hair was white as snow which made him look years older than he really was while the habit he had always of walking with his head down added to his apparent years during the time maud was in europe he grew old very fast for maud was all that made life endurable to see her in her young beauty flitting about the house and grounds like a bright bird whose nest is high up in some sheltered spot where the storms never come was some compensation for what he had done but when she was gone there came over him such a sense of loneliness and desolation that at times he feared lest he should become crazier than his brother who really appeared to be improving although the strange forgetfulness of past events still clung to and increased upon him he did not now remember ever to have said that gretchen was with him in the ship or on the train or that he had sent the carriage so many times to meet her 
and when he spoke of her which he seldom did to any one except to jerry it was as of one who had died years ago occasionally in the winter when a wild storm was raging like that which had shaken the house and bent the evergreens the night jerry came he would tie a knot of crape upon the picture but would give no reason for it when questioned except to say can't you see it is a badge of mourning for a week or more it would remain there and then he would put it carefully away to be again brought out when the night was wild and stormy it was during maud's absence that the two brothers became more intimate than they had been before since arthur first came home and it happened in this wise every day for months after maud and his wife went away frank spent hours alone in his private room sometimes doing nothing but oftener looking at the photograph of gretchen and the bible with the marked passages and the handwriting around it then he would take out the letter about which jerry had been so anxious and examine it carefully studying the address which he knew by heart and beginning at last to arrange the letters in alphabetical order as far as he could and to try to imitate them it was a difficult process but little by little with the assistance of a german textbook of maud's which he found he learned the alphabet and began to form words then put them together and then to read gradually the work began to have a great fascination for him and he went to arthur one day and asked for some assistance never too old to learn he said and as the house is like a tomb without maud i have actually taken up german but find it uphill business without a teacher will you help me to be sure to be sure arthur cried brightening up at once and bringing out on the instant such a pile of books as appalled frank and made him wish to withdraw his proposition but arthur was eager and persistent and patient and had never respected his brother one half as much as when he was stammering over the german pronunciation which he could not well master but he learned to read with a tolerable degree of fluency and to speak a little too while he could understand nearly all arthur said to him do you think i could get along in germany he asked his brother one day certainly you could arthur replied are you going there if you do go to wiesbaden and inquire for gretchen how she died and where she is buried i should have gone long ago only i dreaded the ocean voyage so confoundedly and then i forget so badly when are you going oh i don't know as ever frank answered quickly and yet in his heart there was the firm resolve to go to wiesbaden and hunt up marguerite henrich's friends if possible and if i find them and find my suspicions correct what shall i do then he asked himself over and over again and once made answer to his question i will either make restitution or drown myself in the rhine jerry was a constant source of misery to frank and yet when she was at home he was always managing to have her at the park-house where he could see her and watch her as she moved like a young queen through the handsome rooms or frolicked with maud upon the lawn she is surely gretchen's daughter and arthur's too he would say to himself as he too detected in her face the likeness to his brother which had so startled jerry in the mirror he was always exceedingly kind to her and almost as proud of her success at vassar as arthur himself and on the day when she was expected home he went two or three times to the cottage in the lane carrying fruit and flowers and even offering things more substantial which however were promptly declined by mrs crawford who had signified her intention to take nothing more for jerry's board the girl pays for herself or will she said and it is harold's wish and mine to be independent but she accepted the fruit and the flowers and wondered a little to see frank so excited and nervous and anxious that everything should be done to make jerry's final home-coming as pleasant as possible 
it was a lovely afternoon when the young ladies from vassar were expected but the train was half an hour late and the carriage from grassy spring and the carriage from le bateau had waited so long that both coachmen were asleep upon their respective boxes when at last the whistle was heard among the hills telling that the cars were coming the tracy carriage was not there though twenty minutes before train time maud had come down in the victoria and on learning of the delay had been driven rapidly to the cottage in the lane from which she had not returned when at last the cars stopped before the station and the young people alighted upon the platform which with their luggage seemed at once to be full your checks miss the coachman from grassy spring said to nina as he touched his hat respectfully to her and his words were repeated to ann eliza by the servant from le bateau but jerry held hers in her hand with a rueful look of disappointment on her face as she looked in vain for harold or maud to greet her for a single moment the difference between her position and that of nina and ann eliza struck her like a blow and she thought to herself for them everything for me nothing then she rallied and passing her checks to the baggage-master said to him if there is a boy here with a cart or a wheelbarrow let him take my trunks otherwise send them by express i see there is no one to meet me yes'm but they is comin the man replied with a significant nod in the direction where a cloud of dust was visible as the tracy victoria came rapidly up to the station with maud and harold in it the former was standing up and waving her parasol to the party upon the platform while almost before the carriage stopped harold sprang out and had both of jerry's hands in his and held them as he told her how glad he was to welcome her home again he looked tired and flurried and did not seem quite himself but there could be no doubt that he was glad for the gladness shone in his eyes and in his face and jerry felt it in the warm clasp of his hands which she noticed with a pang were brown and calloused and bruised in some places as if they had of late been used to harder toil than usual but she had not much time for thought before maud's arms were around her neck and maud was standing on tiptoe and drawing down her face which she covered with kisses and between laughing and crying exclaimed you darling old jerry how glad i am to see you again and how tall and grand you have grown why i don't much more than come to your shoulder see harold how jerry outshines me and she lifted her sparkling face to harold who looked down at her as a brother might have looked at an only sister of whom he was very fond how pretty and piquant she was with her brilliant complexion and her dark eyes and how stylish she looked in the paris gown of embroidered linen which fitted her perfectly and the big hat which turned up just enough on the side to give her a saucy coquettish air as she flitted from one to another kissing nina twice ann eliza once and shaking hands with all the young men except tom who put his in his pockets out of her way he could not stand maud's gush he said and he watched her with a half sneering smile as she tiptoed around for it always seemed as if she walked upon her toes curtsying as she walked i meant to have been here before the train she said to jerry and i was here about an hour ago but when i found the cars were late i drove over to tell harold as time with him was everything how we did drive though when we heard the whistle come jump in she continued as she herself stepped into the victoria jump in and i will take you home in a jiffy it won't hurt hal to walk although he is awful tired but i would rather walk take harold if he is so tired jerry said in a tone she did not quite intend oh jerry harold exclaimed in a low pained voice i am not tired let us both walk and going to maud he said something to her which jerry could not hear except the words don't you think it better so of course i do it was stupid in me not to see it before 
was maud's reply as she laid her hand on harold's arm where it rested a moment while she said her good-byes and jerry saw the little ungloved hand touching harold so familiarly and thought how small and white and thin it was with the blue veins showing so distinctly upon it and then she looked more closely at maud herself and saw with a pang how sick she looked in spite of the bright colour in her cheeks which came and went so fast there was a pallor about her lips and about her nose while her ears were almost transparent and her neck was so small that jerry felt she could have clasped it in one hand maud she cried pressing close to the young girl as harold stepped aside maud are you ill you are pale everywhere except your cheeks which are like roses no no maud answered quickly as if she did not like the question not sick a bit only a little tired we have been at work real hard hal and i but he will tell you about it and now good-bye again for i must go i shall be round in the morning good-bye oh tom i forgot we have company to dinner to-night a mr and mrs hart who are friends of mrs atherton and have just returned from germany bringing fred's sister marion with them she has been abroad at school for years and is very nice i ought to have told fred and nina how stupid in me but they will find their invitations when they get home now hop in quick and don't tear my flounces you are so awkward i suppose hal never tears your flounces tom said as he took his seat beside his sister and gave jerry a look which sent the blood in great waves to her face and neck for it seemed to imply that he understood the case and supposed that she did too the st clair carriage had driven away with nina and dick and fred and the carriage from le bateau had gone too when at last jerry and harold started down the road and along the highway to the gate through which the strange woman had once passed with the baby jerry in her arms the baby was a young woman now tall and erect with her head set high as she walked silently by harold's side until the gate was reached and they passed into the shaded lane where they were hidden from the sight of any one upon the main road leading to the park-house then stopping suddenly she faced squarely toward her companion and said why didn't you come to commencement tom tracy said you were shingling a roof and billy peterkin said maud was helping you End of chapters twenty seven and twenty eight